What up, young slumlords and ladies? This is Jake Lapp, and welcome to the Young Slumlords Podcast, where me and Caleb Henshaw talk our shiz and hopefully help spark the idea for finding your financial independence in this paycheck-to-paycheck world. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Sorry about no episode last week. We kind of decided together that we're going to go from now on and and drop an episode every two weeks. So we've been having awesome guests and we've been really like fortunate to be able to pull all these guests from just kind of people we know and people we've met along the way. And we still have a lot of great guests lined up, but we're trying to, you know, keep the quality up and not just push like mass quantity, get whoever we can on the podcast. And we want to have the best thing for everyone. So, So we're going to once every two weeks for now. And um, this episode this week, it's actually just going to be me and Caleb. We haven't had an episode with just us in a little bit. And we kind of wanted to go over all the episodes because I think that there's there's so much content in each of the episodes that like it could be hard to dissect and pull the value out of each one if you're not like consistently writing notes while you listen, which like I know I don't always do. And so I'm sure a lot of the a lot of the listeners also wouldn't. So, you know, just kind of we wanted to run through our all the episodes and just kind of extract some more value and and show kind of the stuff that we really got from each one. So but before that, I kind of wanted to give some life updates for for the both of us and let you guys know kind of what we're up to landlord stuff we've been doing and next deals financially, you know, whatever. So with that, I wanted to hand it over to Caleb and say like, what's going on, man? What have you been up to? Yeah. Lots of changes actually. It's been uh it's been a busy couple of months. I've been in the middle of transitioning into a new role at my current company, which has been a lot. And then also taking a, another job on the side to like do more in the tech field and get a little bit more mentorship from somebody who's been in the game for a long time and then uh also time's running up on my year of being in this duplex now so time has been flying by so fast so now it's just a matter of trying to like get my savings rate as high as possible start looking at it cashing out my investments to get the money ready to go into another deal and it's just been a lot and then on top of that it's i've got a nice little certification i got lined up I've been studying for about 45 hours in the last week and a half on top of working full time. So that's been keeping me pretty busy. So it's a, uh, it, it puts it in perspective of just like all the time that I put in now, I know I'll be getting so much return back for in the future. And it just kind of like puts me back in that mindset of what I was when I first got this duplex of just being like, I just have to f- hustle right now and just get all this done now. And it's just, everything just becomes like clear on what I need to do. And I just think it's just like, it, it's helping me like stay sane a little bit, just staying busy. So how about you? What's, uh, what's been going on with you? Yeah, no, nothing. I, I just, I've been, you know, talking to you along the process and like all with the new job, like it's like, everything's just like lining up and I, I can identify with that feeling. Like I remember kind of that feeling where like the jobs are coming, the opportunities are coming, like everything's happening at once. And it's all because of like, considering your future self in the decisions that you're making every day. Like I remember I had this weird conversation with Kayla. Like I was thinking about it and I was like, I'm just 
a lot of times like I think of my future self in like a third person perspective and it's so weird like it's a weird concept to someone who hasn't thought about that like she thought I was like going insane she was like (laughs) are you are you okay like is that is that weird to to think about and it's like no the the regular check-in like a what am what am I doing today that future Jake in next year future Jake in 10 years is going to think about like when I look back on myself as a 24 year old am I going to be happy of what I was doing and it's like I'm trying to to make that answer yes I'm trying to to make that make these decisions now that are going to benefit my life later on and I think that just kind of like the discipline aspect that comes into that is is crazy because you it is kind of like a crazy person's thought process like you're I'm thinking about this separate entity who is myself, but it's like, I want them to approve of what I'm doing. I want myself to be happy. And by making that disconnect makes it easier to make the right choices. And, uh, you know, I've seen you doing that, like lining it up for that future self, the future return, like putting in the countless hours now for later. And I don't, I don't think it's a crazy thing to do. I think like humans are like the only creatures on the planet who have the ability to do that. And I think it's that like, we know. <laughs> yeah, true, true. These crows are pretty crazy. But no, I mean, like having the ability to see yourself in the future and looking back like as a third person, just knowing like, am I doing the right thing? Of course, you're never going to know exactly what's going on. Like, you know, you might be in a completely different situation where, you know, you're not doing the best you can. But if right now you are working towards the goal of being the best you can. It's just like, what what else can you do? You know, it's, I don't think it, it, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't do now the way it's like, what's going on now. I just want to get to Friday. I just want to be able to get what I need to get done now so I can relax and enjoy myself for the weekend. And then you kind of just get stuck in that grind for like 45 years, you know? Right. So it's like something that I think is super important to just sit back and think like, where do I want to be in, three months where do I want to be in six 12 36 you know how many years ahead do I want to look and look back at myself and like am is what I'm doing now worth my time is it helping me is it hurting me because like if if you don't think about it you're just going to stick to doing what's easy what's comfortable and then you know in that future self you'll be like wow I really wasted a lot of time or you know look back like wow if I really set myself up for success with what I did back then yeah like since since we started the podcast in december it's been like i think i want to say like an average of like three two to five people every week like either old friends that i haven't talked to since the fifth grade or like you know guys in my circle family like people have been reaching out to me a lot more about finances and stuff like that and i've been listening to so a lot of different perspectives on what we're doing and it's just it's really interesting to to think about and to talk about constantly like every week I'm looking at someone else's situation and like how how can you get to that financial independence like I've been really actually excited I've been um talking and to my friends and stuff and I've been 
you know, when I get to this financial independence point, what's the next step? You know, what what's that next thing that I'm going to do? Like I like I've said before, I, I really enjoy my job, but it's not something I'm passionate about. And having these financial discussions and helping other people find it, whether it's exactly what I did or not, in most in, in most cases, it's, it can't be. You know, everyone has different resources. Everyone has different circumstances and, and life experience. That, and strengths as well. And strengths. Everyone has different everything so like but by able by being able to like dissect each situation and you know kind of plan things out off of other people's strengths like it's been a lot of fun and I've been thinking more about like in the future when that financial independence happens like doing financial independence planning like like a fire coach pretty much yeah so like something where I think a lot of people who are financial planners the only way that they make money is by being a financial planner and i think it's like backwards i think how like how are you supposed to yeah, it's take, like a conflict of interest yeah how are you taking advice from someone who needs your money to make their money like oh yeah i'm i'm rich because of you like that doesn't <laughs> it's it's counterintuitive and it doesn't make sense to me so i think by being able to hit that goal whenever that goal comes you know being able to kind of spread the knowledge and you know the stuff that we're doing now is great but by talking you know what we're talking about is just our experiences and our guests experiences it's not like this custom fit thing to who, whoever you are and yeah, there's no a lot magic bullets right right and i mean you can take the stuff from us and and pick what's good pick what's not and like i i kind of wanted to talk about that too today but the the analysis paralysis like i I think so many times, like it just gets oversimplified. It's like this, yeah, don't have analysis paralysis, take action. And it's like, but if you're a smart person, you want to take in all the information, you want to learn the most that you possibly can to make the best decision that you possibly can. And I think that's hard to do with the amount of info that we have. Like you could listen to podcasts for the rest of your life. Yeah, forever. And be learn something new every day, and learn every day learn something better. Someone's getting a better return on their money. Someone's doing something more passively. Someone's doing, you know, and it's just compounding and compounding, and over and over again, you're just second guessing what you should be doing. Where like finding your strength and really like looking inwards on like what do you want to be doing? What's the thing that makes the most sense for your situation to be doing? And like taking action whether that taking action is buying a property or saving money in most cases it's saving money like how can you do that quicker and i think a challenging part though is like most people especially myself included don't know what they want or even what their strengths are until they start doing stuff and then realize like this is not my strength like i know that for a fact now or like i'm actually pretty good at this i think i could see myself doing this more in the future and like that hundred percent requires you to you know jump in and start doing it before you can figure out those answers because you know you could guess all you want but then if you commit yourself to something for a long time and then you find out you're not passionate about it you're not strong at it you don't enjoy doing it it can be challenging but i think like for my unique situation of not knowing much about real estate at all besides like the numbers and how it worked before jumping into the deal was like my best situation because i enjoy 
analyzing the crap out of stuff, just like knowing everything I possibly can to like fully understand what's going on underneath before I get into it. And this was something I knew that like I I knew that analysis paralysis is a thing. And I thought if I get myself into that pit, I'm never going to get out again. So I just got to do it without even thinking about it and then figure it out as I go. So it's definitely a balance of finding what you're good at. And if you know you do enjoy doing work on specific things, you know, you can look for ways to apply that into investing in real estate and all that. But I think a, a big part of this is just jumping in and just getting started. Right, right. So, so yeah, kind of going back to like, life updates you know i i'm just about ready for the next deal i just got my my pre-approval for you know the next property and like i've said on here before you know my my next strategy that i've been hoping to really implement was using my fha loan which i i haven't used yet which is again it's the three and a half percent down um pmi that doesn't go away it's a it's a loan that's kind of instilled for people with bad credit who normally wouldn't have the ability to get a loan. And so it's, and it's also harder with, with the market, the way that it is, it's, you've got all this competition. And if you're only, you know, there's so many downsides of the FHA loan. Like you, you're, you're the, you're the bottom rung of the offers when you put an FHA in to say like the short and sweet part. Absolutely. So, you know, you've got these requirements that FHA builds in that in order for them to give you this loan, the house needs to meet this, 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 this. And if you don't meet it, it becomes the seller's burden where now they, in order to sell it to you, they need to make those changes. They need to do all that work, put in all that money for you to get into it. And so that sucks. The appraisal sucks because it sticks with the property for six months. So And everyone can see it. And everyone can see it. So it, it's now really limiting the the possibility of uh, the appraiser had a bad day. I'll get a, a better one tomorrow. With That's how it is on the conventional. So I've got that working against me. I've got the... The market right now as well. How the crazy market's crazy. So like, you know, you've got all these people buying. Why, why do an FHA loan? So I have been thinking about a lot, talking to a lot of people, and I think with any loan, with any house that I'm going to do. And again, you know, I could do another similar property to the triplex or the duplex claim residency, put a lower down payment. But with the FHA, I'm really hoping to utilize it to the best of its ability to get a four unit or like a really nice three unit that has the biggest potential for cash flow and leverage a lot more, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do a three and a half percent down on a $200,000 property right now because I'm, you can only have one going on at once. I want to utilize this tool to the best of its ability. So now where I'm at was the next step would be a 203k loan, which is another program through the FHA loan that includes the rehab cost in the loan amount. So if the, if the property is 400,000, needs a hundred thousand in work, the loan is for five hundred thousand. I'm putting three and a half percent on five hundred thousand and it's gonna come up to standard. I can do you can do cosmetic stuff. You can choose to do stuff. It doesn't have to be just the safety punch list, but it's initially gonna go off of that the FHA guidelines. It needs this, this, this done to to be eligible. So I started calling contractors. 
Oh yeah, because you uh, you like are required to have a licensed contractor for the two hundred three k loan. You can't just like take the money and then just you know walk away with that money. You have to have a licensed contractor put up their bid for it and say like have a plan written out of like this is when we're going to be able to do this, 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 and this, and this is the government then pays when you complete those parts of the job. So it can be hard getting contractors because some of them are used to getting paid up front for jobs and that's impossible with this you cannot get paid up front so it's it can be tricky to find people to even take the work in the first place especially when things are as busy as they are now for these contractors right so and i i you know never had a contractor i never had to hire a contractor i wasn't sure kind of the the steps and I, i have a few connections who are licensed contractors and i talked to four of them and everyone's booked out for the year. You know, people, I talked to someone the other day who turned down a million dollars worth of work this year and he could take those jobs if he had the subcontractors to do it. He can't even find subcontractors to come on to get this work done. So finding a good contractor right now is near impossible. So I talked to, to another contractor and I told him the situation. I said, this is what's going on. Is there any way you could help me out? And he was like, I can't. But what I could do is I could hire you to the company. You could become one of my employees, one of my subcontractors, and you could do the work yourself. You could clock your hours in the amount of time that you're spending. If my guys have time on the weekend, if they want the overtime, they can come on you and put their hours on your job. And we can do it that way, which for me, that's perfect. That's what I wanted to do. I would, I wouldn't hire a contractor if it was up to me, but now what, what the way that we're structuring it is going to be, you know, we set whatever hourly rate that we want. He brought up an interesting point where if I gave myself a, a high hourly rate, I would get taxed a lot more for that high hourly rate where he's able to, I could do a low hourly rate. And then he could give me a bonus as an employee where it's taxed at a different level where, you know, I made sure that I need this guy to feel comfortable with it. I need him to, you know, vet the job, agree with the steps that I'm doing, agree with the bid. And I need him to make money. Like no one does anything for free. And for someone that's willing to help me out, I need them to make money. So we set up a amount that I want him to make that he wants to make and through the bonus and my hourly rate, I can kind of come up with the rest. I guess it's a loophole. Like that's like a, a kind it's, it's not really a way around it, but it's working with the program and doing it under someone who's licensed and insured. That's not myself, but I'm able to do the work on it, which is just like something that I didn't really think about before. And I think it's a really useful tool for a lot of people, especially with this crazy market and the lack of contractors. So I'm actually super stoked about this. I'm, I'm looking at a four unit now and I've got all these plans in my head and I kind of fell in love with the place, even though I don't have an offer accepted or anything like that. I haven't even been through. I was going to say you, ha- the units. you haven't even walked in some of them, right? Right. So nice. It's uh. It's still definitely a stretch and it, this deal might not work, but I have, I've through this deal, I'm learning steps and things that I can put into action for any deal in this type of circumstance. So I'm stoked about it. Other than that, you know, we've been, I, I something, something that just came into my head was like how you can only have one FHA at a time. 
And with the 203k loan, you put a ton of sweat equity back into the house so that it'll definitely appraise for more in the future after you put all that work in. Something I thought of was, since you only have one, you're required to have at least 20% down in your FHA before you can refinance out into a conventional loan. I wonder if you would hit that if you put enough work in with the 203k, you can immediately jump out again. Yeah. And then, you know, after say six months or whatever for the seasoning, whatever the conventional banks require, and then just turn around and then do it again. That's part of the 203k process. Like with, they bring in an ARV, like you have to get an ARV for the after repair value. Like that's once everything's done, you know, you get the appraisal today. What's it going to appraise at when all this work is done that the contractor bid on? If we can hit that 20%, that's a no-brainer. You know, something that's like 500000 The the PMI stuck with the FHA that lasts for the term of the loan is like 300 400 bucks a month. And like by being able to refinance that into a conventional loan, that's three dollars $400 a month of cash flow added. So like the sooner we can get there, the sooner... Like, I think even afterwards, if I had 15%, I would put another 5% down into the deal. Just to get there faster. On top of my mortgage payment, like overfunding the mortgage every month to touch the the principal and and get out of that situation as quick as I can because I, you know. Yeah, FHA loans are expensive. They're like the private mortgage insurance that we call PMI it's different for FHA because it's not private through the government but it's super expensive and like they have to balance out that mortgage insurance for everyone with FHAs from like decent credit to super bad credit so that's why it's so expensive is because you're like your insurance rate is factoring in other people's payments and like their credits as well so that's why it's so high it's not just yours so it's just something that can erase a deal's cash flow if you're paying four or five hundred dollars a month for just insurance for the loan itself so definitely definitely something to think about yeah getting getting out of that is as soon as possible and then with that you know comes okay we're hopefully moving soon so now you know some of the the stuff on the back burner of the house of our our rental that we're living in you know we want to get up to snuff where we're ready to move out sooner than later so i've been doing a lot of little upgrades fixing fixing things along the way and and it's been busy um but i'm i'm just super stoked to get into this next one i you know the the cash flow even if the next deal doesn't have a ton of cash flow and i just end up living for free again you know the cash flow from our last where we're living now will jump us up you know another grand or 1100 bucks depending on what we get which will be again really impactful on the savings rate going forward where you know i'm i'm actually hoping for this coming year to do two deals um and i don't know if that second deal is going to be another something local buying as strictly an investment getting something cheaper putting 20 percent down or you know i've been really kicking around the 10 percent down vacation property and uh getting that airbnb money exactly so I, i've been scouting at, around in florida and i've been looking in puerto rico too which would be pretty freaking cool I, the hurricanes aren't that cool um <laughs> but the rest, you know, the the upside for the Airbnb stuff to to have a vacation property to go to, and while I'm not there, the the biggest thing is going to be finding someone that I trust to to clean and to to keep do the upkeep on the property. So that's 
not right on my plate, but it's something that I'm I'm constantly thinking about and, and looking at. So it's those are two exciting exciting things, and you know, work's been good. Getting getting closer to the wedding, we've been uh, planning that stuff out. Plan. It's wedding season, man. I got like three weddings lined up, with including yours. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to a new change in roles in my job. Though it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty nice. I'm working with a team of like 15 people. Everyone's on the east, uh, west coast though, so my hours definitely are gonna be a little bit later in the day. But it is what it is. So. Oh, and I wanted to have everyone uh, talk to Caleb about his his little ETH come up. We've got a big. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been running pretty hard. We're at like knocking on the door like 4k for ETH right now. So which how much was it when you started buying it? Uh, first time was seventeen dollars. You so to and, the moon. Yeah, so. and Caleb's big on not selling either. So it might <laughs> it might just turn to nothing again because he no. doesn't want to sell it. But no, what are you thinking? What are do you want to hold on to it longer? Or do you see the upside? Do you, from the numbers i ran from like comparison from like run rates from like the average like float price to like where it shot up on the all-time high was like comparing to the last bull run we're still right now at a cheaper price than what it should be if it matched the run rate of comparing it to say bitcoin as well so why would it match the run rate like just having the like the increase in the coin cost like it looks like a lot right now but in comparison to what it's done in the past with lower amounts of hype, lower amounts of people buying into it and lower amounts of application use of it, it increased higher and like came to a higher rate. So it, it only makes sense for ETH to increase even higher now because there's more hype, more people and more use cases for it. So that's the way I'm looking at it right now that it's just slowly pushing up like the last like week or two it's just been going up slowly and slowly but at a really consistent rate bitcoin spins hovering the same amount like the same price so that's where i'm looking at of course it's super tempting just to get out now take my gains and then invest in some real estate but like i just you know you always have the thought of you're leaving money on the table if you sell too early and you know of course on the flip side of the coin that you're losing leaving money on the table selling too late so it's just like a constant back and forth a lot of stress to think about just how much it is but it's just something i i just i've been thinking about every single day and keeping my numbers up to date but we'll see what happens i'm it's just a matter of time to figure out if it starts doing something crazy i might get out of it if it keeps going i'm just gonna you know ride this train out so yeah i think that's why i'm against you know the investing thing like i think for me at least my understanding on the stocks and stuff like that is you know the goal of stocks is to incrementally percent daily increases where like well it's, it's like a stable. year percent like you're looking at like seven percent average for stock returns you know for an average of the market and then you're talking three percent subtracted due to inflation so you're looking at four percent average gain on your money year over year so like yeah i mean if you you know invest if you diversify and have a lot of the market you can have that consistent gains but most people are just gambling like they're just straight up buying penny stocks or crazy options and just straight up gambling and losing a lot of money and i don't think that's the way to go like with crypto i bought it a few years ago now and just was had the goal in my mind of losing this money forever unless it i don't and like it wasn't like I'm going to double down and get rich tonight to like, I'm going to hold this for a long time. I even told myself, I remember, you know, we had that conversation a year minimum of holding this. Mm -hmm. So 
now it's been like three or four now at least. So it's just like it's. I think it just scares me to the fact like when you see gains at the rate that we're seeing that it can drop just as quick. And if if it's that volatile, it has the ability to do either or. And with that in mind, like I can't separate, you know, the percent gain from like a different investment. Like I can't, it's like, okay, I just saw a 600% increase in the last two weeks. It's like, take your money and run in my eyes. It's like, that's the, where else could you multiply your money that way? Yeah. And I think like something that's important that like I I have people talking to me about crypto. They're like, you know, what's going on with crypto? How do I get into it? How do I get rich overnight? I want to be a millionaire. And it's like, it's just, that is a, a quick road to losing all your money um, because people who are successful stock traders, you know, don't like investing in crypto because it's just so crazy. And like, I don't think that anybody should be getting into crypto with important money that they need to survive and being like, if this goes up, I'm going to have a different life. If it goes down, I'm going to have a much worse life. And it's just like, that is not the situation you want to be going into, you know, investing in crypto. It's like, from my perspective, you are burning your money 100%, like it's gone until it's not. So I think that's the only way I would recommend getting into it. Like 100%, I feel like the best way to start is taking an investment that has a consistent return to build your financial situation, such as like real estate. You can buy the house, you know, granted, as long as you don't sell on a down market, you're always going to have that equity locked up in the building plus the cash flow coming into you. So you're just going to keep upping your financial financial position versus gambling on stocks and crypto. It's just not a long-term strategy you can do. Of course, once you have cash flow coming in from your, your assets, you can use that to invest and gamble on the markets. But until then, I think you really should be focusing on saving up for that first down payment on a multifamily. Yeah. I, and and it's something too that like I, I kick myself, like I sold my Bitcoin in January and it's like, why the heck do you do that? And then I, you know, you have the FOMO of like, oh, it's going to go up to freaking a hundred thousand, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the, the difference for me from stocks and real estate is it's much harder to leverage your money in stocks. You can't put in, you know, three and a half percent of a stock and then gain a hundred percent over the next couple of years and plus the the interest. Like I think people when they compare stocks to real estate, they're comparing once you own a hundred percent, if you're buying houses in cash and you're putting the the full amount and then you're seeing a six percent. But they're not taking into the account I'm only putting five percent down. I'm only putting ten percent down on this asset that someone else is paying for year after year. And then if you look at the numbers that way, you know, you're seeing 50, 60, you know, whatever percent, infinity percent returns on, on your real estate investments where in stocks, it's just whatever that stock goes to, you know, I think people inflate the, the big number on Bitcoin and they're like, Oh, 50,000 to 60,000. It's like, well, if you deflate it to $5 to $6, it's the same number. It, it's the same the, percent, yeah. Exactly. And like with you get to balloon your money with real estate. You get to take like five percent down, like with your triplex, you put down how much was the total five percent down? I think it was like twenty eight grand all in. So for twenty eight grand you got to control an asset that was now probably worth over three hundred thousand dollars. Absolutely. And 
So think about if you put that on the market right now, $28,000 on a stock and then seeing it go up in value to, you know, over $300,000 worth of assets to control, that's unheard of. Like you can't just like do that. Right. You'd have to like hit something huge and then, you know, it'd be like a lottery ticket at that point. So that's a huge part of real estate that is something that you don't, you want to keep in mind is just how much control you get for such a little bit amount of money. And it's like the, the, the downside is like how liquid is your asset and like the stock you can sell every day and, and realize your gains where, I mean, real estate's pretty liquid right now too. You can, you can <laughs> yeah, sell you, it pretty quick. I could but, probably sell this place tomorrow if I wanted to. Yeah. But. So, I mean, and it's all about the price too. You know, you can, take a loss that's actually a gain like if you wanted to to get rid of a place someone will buy it today and that's a wholesaler like you, if you needed to you could and i think just like looking at the exit strategies kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier and like finding you don't have to find the perfect thing but make sure that you have the exit strategies in place where you're not losing the shirt off your back if you need to get out of it and i think that there's so many realms in real estate where that's possible, where like you can safely exit if you needed to. And like barring like a huge, like, you know, personal issue in your life where you need that money right away. Like the whole point of this is to increase your money coming in. So like buying this asset with a large chunk of money down, granted you keep some wiggle room with your, you know, your liquid on hand to like replace a water heater or whatever the problem is. Like you're, automatically increasing the amount of money you have like whether you're cutting your rent bill to live for free in a, in a duplex or you're getting some money on top and, and you know it's just you're going to be in a better situation like nine times out of ten like no matter what way you split it right like when, when we look at the cash on cash numbers we're literally looking at how much money we put down not the value of the asset and how much money monthly we're bringing in and that percentage is is what should be compared to the stock market. That money here to money there. Like how much am I actually getting? And like over the course of a year, two years, three years, depending on what your your cash on cash is, you know, you recoup that investment, you make that, and then the rest is to infinity for as long as you hold it and as long as you keep maintaining it. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think that's just... I think it's because we're so involved with it. It just seems like such a no brainer right. to us. But right. like that, like for most people, there's just like that feeling of like such a big commitment to, you know, signing up for and applying and getting a mortgage and then owning a whole house versus like going on your phone and opening up, you know, Robin Hood or Weeble and clicking a button and hit buy and like, I'm going to get rich right. tomorrow. But yeah. so I feel there's personally so much more risk involved in stocks because if Tesla's going down. There's nothing in my power that I can do to increase the value of Tesla. Maybe buy a, fu a couple cars, you know, <laughs> which isn't going to do anything to yeah. it. It's yeah, if Elon Musk keeps shilling Doge and <laughs> shareholders don't like it, you know, the value's going to go down. Like there's yeah. nothing you can do, and like there's nothing in your realm of control to maintain the value of these stocks and cryptos. Like you are just betting everything on other people. Yep. Versus with real estate, you get to choose like how much money you put into the house, how much you put in maintaining it yep. and making it nicer and upgrading it and doing those things. Like I personally have the power to do all of that, and like. I don't feel that in stocks. It's like these 
crooks you know and yeah, they, the they are like we've we've seen it like we've seen the shorts and we've seen like what the people on wall street are doing with with the money in the stock market and it's like dude that's i i'm so powerless in this and they will take advantage the, the stock market is not for you to make money it's for them to make money and like we're talking we're talking to us. We're not talking to a bunch of billionaires. Like the best, I really think after really looking in at stocks and really looking in at real estate, like in to change classes, to change wealth classes, like real estate is the safest bet. There's, in my perspective, a balance as well. Like I do own stock. Like I do, and so do I. Invest in some. Like it's not like you have to choose one or the other, but I think that you should really prioritize like what is most impactful on your life and having your income turn into a giant snowball that continuously grows and grows faster than, you know, you can get raises at your job or promotions or switching to new roles. Like it's just such a powerful like foundation that you can set up in your life. That'll just make everything else in the future easier that like if you, we, you know, we've had people on who've made money in stocks and then, you know, had bad luck with it months later and lost some money. And you're just constantly working at maintaining your amount of money, doing all this due diligence of like what's the best stock to put in your risk ratio and like your returns and all that. And like, it's just so easy to just get wiped out versus keeping that foundation in real estate. You're looking at such a rock solid foundation for the future that it's just barring you know massive personal crisis where you need to sell on a down market you know that specific scenario barred you know you're going to be set yeah yeah i i guess that's enough about the the stocks but just a a, a little little tid more like i i also have have some stocks and you know my 401k and a mutual fund and stuff like that but the money that i'm putting in there is already locked in on my expenses where like I don't notice that money. I'm not putting any of my extra income, any of my extra savings that is towards real estate into those things. Like it's for for me and I think for anyone who who doesn't really know a ton about stocks or crypto, like we've said it a million times, but like only invest money that you don't care about losing. And if you view it that way, it's a great tool. But if you're looking at that to to make you rich, there's so much risk involved and there's you know, just a million reasons not to do it yeah and i think like most people do realize how it is that it's just the simplicity of getting involved now it's just too easy to lose your money now like people are just lining up you know everywhere just to burn their money on robin hood and weeble so is what it is but i do want to switch over and get into running back some of the episodes that we've done and just trying to pull some key insights and just important and impactful pieces of information that we found from you know the guests we had on or whether it was just the two of us and start seeing if we can reiterate some of those points to you know really hammer them home because like jake said in the beginning of the episode it's a lot of content so you know we don't expect everybody to be digging through these and pulling out all this info on their own so we want to you know make sure we maximize the value out of this so starting at the the top episode 16 we had Dion McNeely on the show and he really went in on his process and plan of building up that income snowball and just digging himself out of a bad financial situation into being really comfortable and later in life. And some of the key points that he brought up were the binder. Yeah, I, I, I want to dive into this. I think this is such an incredible concept. Like he's 
gotta write this book soon. Like, I think this can change a lot of people's mind. Like, for me personally, I I did not want to inherit tenants. I had no interest in inheriting tenants. I didn't. I wanted to turn over, get the maximum amount of cash flow I could, get the maximum maximum amount of rent, and you know, by doing that you're disregarding that person who's living there. And I think his approach here with the binder, so so what the binder strategy is, is getting an actual binder, printing out a page of a picture of the house and the purchase price. You know, that purchase price is a big amount. Like it doesn't have to be like what your down payment was on it, but it's like, this is how much I'm going to be paying for this property. And it's a lot. And the the next step is uh, a picture of their apartment and what they're paying. The n- which in this case, the reason for the binder means that it's not enough. It's not up to par with all of the other rentals in the area. So then the next page is other rentals. You can do a map view of all the other recently rented apartments in your area within a few miles. And when you... S- you know, let's say they're paying $600 a month for a two bedroom, one bath with a thousand square feet. You find a bunch of two bed, one bath, thousand square feet apartments, you know, give or take, and you see them running for 1200, 1400, a thousand, you know, you can collect all of that, show an average, show what's available in the next slide. Like, okay, there's this one for 1500. There's this one for 1300 going then into asking the tenant, what do you think is fair? Because the tenant probably understands that, if especially if they're a long-term tenant, it's going to cost you money to get it up to par. You're going to have to update some things. You're going to have to fix some stuff. Like to get this rented it on the market and get the the high cash flow, you're going to need to put some serious money into it. For them, so now it's a, a mutual thing. Like okay, by you staying, I save some money, but by you staying, I lose some money. Like. What do you think is fair? And if they're paying 600 bucks and all the market rents are 1200 or above, you know, they might say a thousand's fair because they know that that, that thousand bucks in the next year is going to, the savings, the $200 a month in savings that they're getting is, you know, putting that towards the repair. Like how, if I would need to fix the whole unit, if it would cost me 10 grand, how long would it take? to save that money. And it's like, it's a long time. So what Dion was saying was I can get close and not have to put that initial investment into to turning over the tenant. And saving all the time. Like he said himself, he, he's lazy, which, you know, I agree with. You don't want to be, you know, working just to work. You know, if you can find a way to, you know, maximize value without spending all this time and energy just to like be in the same spot you were, if you could have just did it a little bit easier, you know, I, I agree with that completely. And taking that binder, sitting down, negotiating with the tenant directly, letting them know your financial situation, seeing, you know, let, like giving them the option, like you pick your rent. You know, of course, if they're like, you know, I don't want to raise my rent at all, you know, you're, you're going to have to tell them, you know, that's just like, we're going to have to terminate the lease then. Like you cannot rent it out for five, $600 under market and, you know, pay your mortgage and make any money on it. So it's not like, it's like a super risky, but people who have been in the same apartment or, you know, unit for a long time, most likely want to stay and you want to accommodate that and like get good tenants and keep them for a long time to prevent your turnover. And I think it's a good way to balance that in between the landlord and the tenant. And then he also mentioned about 
the leases he signs going forward have incremental increases in the rent every year. I think he said 3% or something like that to, you know, maintain market value rents, which I think is super important. And because like, like he said, and I, I never really thought about it either, was your property taxes go up every year. Your insurance goes up every year. That 3% isn't a greed thing. It's not even an inflation thing. It's like my costs are higher. My rent needs to be higher to maintain. If you don't raise your rents, you're losing money yeah, over the course of Think the about years. it like the value of money continuously goes down over time. And if you keep your your rent the same every year, year, you're consistently giving a discount to your rental, keeping it the same. So I think it's a, a, a must have in all leases I'll be signing going forward is having that incremental increase in there because otherwise I'll be, you know, kind of screwing myself out of losing money in the future that I wouldn't have to if I just kept it in, you know, in turn with the market. Yeah. Another thing that he, he did with that was giving the option to the tenants to sign a two-year lease because he, he put that in his lease that, okay, it's 3% every year. If you sign a two-year lease, I can't raise the rent in those two years. So he's got p- his tenants asking to pay more money and wanting to extend their lease, which is a landlord's dream. And it's like, but you're giving the power to your tenant and the relationship is better that way. No tenants used to asking what they think is fair. And like, I, I just really, really, really liked his outlook on, on that. And I don't what, know how I didn't think of this till now, but we got to hit him up and get a copy of his leases and yeah, <laughs> see we what's should. going on. We with definitely that. should. Um, yeah, he also was just super focused on just building that income snowball up through all this to to really get himself going. And one of the things that he uses as a tool to like you know see what the best way is to increase that snowball was just measuring opportunity costs for deals with just like a set baseline of how much money you're putting in it. And you can listen to the episode to get the full breakdown. We'll be updating our deal analysis calculators to include this as one of the tools, but setting like a baseline, like if you can go into one deal at three and a half percent down and get a certain cash flow, or you can go into this deal and get, you know, with 15% down and get a certain cash flow, like how do you set a baseline to know which one is the best like what opportunity you know costs the least so this will be something we'll be updating on our our stuff so you everyone can have access to this stuff because it's helping us knowing like how to measure these deals like there's so many numbers to look at like how do you tell what's the best so that was something cool he brought up as well that we got to put out there yeah and, and so what he was talking about was was making the the threshold the baseline putting 20% down opposed to the lower down payments of claiming residency. And I thought about that and I was like, that's a great tool for comparing different deals and what you should do. But in reality, because I I like felt offended. I was like, yeah, but I didn't like, I didn't put 20% down by making that sacrifice of living somewhere and claiming residency and using it as a primary residence. I was able to get it for 5% down or 15% down or three and a half percent down. And like, I think when we were talking about it yesterday or on the last episode, like I was kind of sold on like, no, 20% makes the most sense, but it's like, no, like the, the added benefit of you claiming residency there is valid. Like you are seeing 50% cash on cash. You are seeing 30% cash on cash. The importance I think is making sure that if that deal was being analyzed by another investor who their 
criteria is that it hits 10% cash on cash, you're not getting it and then analyzing it at 20% down and seeing like a 3%. And now you're seeing 15% by claiming residency. Like is that sacrifice of living somewhere worth 5% on the overall? And it's like, we were talking about this before and it's like, well, it kind of is like, if that's the thing that gives you a competitive advantage on top of all the other investors and you can make your numbers work, if that's the only deal that works, you know, that's worth it. But if, if you're seeing, you know, 30%, 40%, 50% on a deal because you're putting three and a half percent down, take that as a win. You you earned that extra instead of it taking 10 years to pay itself off. It's doing it in two years. It's doing it in three years. And like that one year is saving you six or seven years. Like that's, those are real numbers. That's how it works. Yeah. And I know it can be difficult to follow along with like all the numbers and all that. So that's where we want to put out the the spreadsheet so you can see like I, exactly what's going on with like how the numbers fit together because it can be challenging, you know, over audio to like keep everything together in your head. So, you know, don't feel bad if, if, not, if it didn't make a ton of sense, but we'll be putting those calculators out there. Yeah. The last thing that Dion was talking about was installing locks like when he was buying these places and and you know just little upgrades for keeping tenants you know he's not going in and remodeling their house but he was putting in led lights outside motion sensor led lights and automatic keyless locks that i think is such a good idea like he's like yeah because it one it's easier they don't have to carry a key two you never have to change the locks a lot of these brands that you can buy hold like 10 different codes so yeah they're keypad entries so you just have like a four digit code to get in and like it's such a like a modern thing that it like it looks nice oh like, it looks great it, it definitely like increases like the front of the house like you know when you walk up and you just type in the pen like you know we got 100 year old houses both of us do mm-hmm. over than that like it's it's a nice little thing to add to like make it better and like the locks i have in my house now are are terrible like they are super bad like just getting in and out of the doors suck. Yeah. So I'll be doing the same thing myself. I know Jake, you just put some in, in your place in Satterton. That was, it looks so much better and just being able to walk in and out without having keys. And then something that landlords have to deal with is tenants getting locked out of their, of their apartments. And I've had to do it a few times, just like when they first get in, you know, it's easy to do with, especially with, like I said, I got terrible locks where they, you know, easily lock you out. So it's something you won't ever have to worry about. You know, granted the batteries don't die in the locks. Right. So that, and that's something that I'm kind of using as a control right now. I'm figuring it out myself, but what I was doing to prevent that beforehand was keeping a lockbox on the property where, you know, tenant lose their keys I give them the code for the lockbox and then they can go get their keys. And that's like not as nice as a, an automatic thing. So like yeah. the the first one for, for our place, like so like I said, I just installed these on in the duplex in Souderton on both units. And, you know, the the deadbolt was like fifty bucks. That's the that's the automate automated lock. It's the deadbolt. And then below I bought a new handle. So it was like seventy bucks all in per unit. And it looks great. Did, and you, did you do it on the back doors as well or just no. the front? So I just did it on the front because I was like thinking about how much money it would cost to do it on all of them. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, because then I would do it on the basement too, like mm. in the basement doors. And I was like, that just seems like a, a ton of work or not a ton of work. The, the first one literally took me 10 minutes. Um, 
very simple. The second one, they didn't have a deadbolt, and I didn't have the the stuff necessary to do it nicely. So I was like drilling all the holes out and lining it up, and it took like a little over two hours to do that. Um, but again, it, it was worth it. And what's that opportunity cost? What was the alternative thing that I was going to be doing? I was like, probably it was kind of rainy outside. We were probably just going to be watching TV. Is like swiping the gram. Yeah. So. I, I was super happy with how I spent my day yesterday and the tenants like it too. So now, you know, for the inevitable, when the batteries do die, I, I still have the lockbox. I'm keeping the, the deadbolt keys in the lockbox. So in case the batteries do die, but I'm really hoping to see like over the next year or two, or, you know, even if it's a couple months getting that control of like, okay, this lock lasts for 14 months. And if that's the case, Every year, that's just going to be one of my normal things. When I go to the property, I'm going to swap out the batteries. And it's very easy to do also. So it's like, even if I gave the tenants a pack of batteries and was like, hey, like this might die. Here's some batteries. This is how you do it. You know, it's it's easy. So we'll see how that goes. But I thought that was another great thing. And I think today when we're done, I'm going to head over to the Quakertown triplex and, and put three three in there. So. Yeah, it's definitely a nice little thing to to have, especially if you got older locks like I do. Like it's gonna be a massive difference once those are in. But yeah, going on to the next one, episode fifteen, we had Kevin Riley on, the motivational speaker at XNFL player, and it was really cool to have that conversation with him and and get his life story. And I think the biggest pieces of information to pull out is just how important it is to set goals for yourself like knowing what you want to do like if you don't have a direction you'll never know when you get there so i think that everybody should take some time you know saturday afternoon sit down you know with yourself or a significant other and just prioritize what's important to you and set some goals to achieve to try and get there because you know without that you're going to be kind of shooting in the dark and you'll never know when when you'll be there or when you're even making progress so it's uh something that is super important for everybody yeah i i think that when when we were having that conversation and like going forward and i kind of internalized something someone said to me it was like well i kind of want to enjoy my 20s like i i want to be able to not always have this extra burden i don't want to always be focused on money like money isn't everything and it's like you know, that's true. And, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in like, I want to enjoy my life also. And it's like, we, we had talked about this before. It was like, Caleb was thinking about buying a single family house or buying a duplex. And it's like, well, I don't really want to manage tenants. It's like, well, yeah, like no one wants to manage tenants. It's not this thing that's just easier. It's takes more work, but in the long term, your future self is going to be happy about it. And like that same thing goes into whatever you're doing to find financial independence it's like putting all this work in is there's a balance to it like i've i've been on both ends where like i was doing way too much and didn't have time for other things but like if i look back on that year you know the amount of stuff that we did the amount of fun things that we did the amount of trips that we went on and and different things with friends like and for me personally i needed kayla for that like she kept me balanced with doing those social things but like you can do both I think a lot of people don't think so like a lot of people think that you can either just be 100% grinding constantly and having no fun or just having fun 
and not grinding and like there is a balance and by being able to really prioritize what's important to you you know if you want to set aside a day a week to go surfing or to go rock climbing or to do whatever thing like you can do that and but by writing it down and making these things like blocking out parts of your schedule you can get the rest done in the rest of the amount of time like it's always possible but i think those those long days are essential like in order to do it in order to achieve your goals you're gonna have to put in more than the minimum and that's just and some people do it differently as well like personally my experience has been that i complete these things in sprints where i have like a few months you know one month to three months you know four if i'm going crazy where i just go all in on something where you know i'm not hanging out with friends on the weekends i'm not you know, watching TV at nights during the week. I'm just focused on getting this done where you just work, work, work for that short period of time where you can get a massive amount done. And then you can then spend the rest, you know, of the time where you're not in a sprint, just relaxing, socializing and having fun. So it's not like your hundred percent of your life is being erased for work. It's that you're, you know, going in between sprints and rest where like, committing to that sprint and getting all that work done to set you up to then be able to rest for a little bit and i think that's something that has worked for me pretty well being able to just like you know i'm not going to be doing anything but this for the next few months until it's done yeah and i'm huge on that too like i you're you can because you can do it two ways you can do it like big sprints of like constant grinding or you can do like just a really long like drawn out process a drawn out like okay i'm gonna put an extra three hours on top of my i'm gonna work 11 hours every single day for the next three years or you could work you know do a couple 16 hour days in a sprint and then chill the rest and i think doing our the house hacking stuff and and flipping the places ourselves and making everything nice like we're both seeing the you buy it now starts the sprint you get the sprint over with and it's pretty calm after that Big like time. Yep. it really turns down like caleb's seeing it now like he he's at the point with the property that he's not worried and constantly doing stuff with the property he's now sprinting in a different race like he's doing a totally separate workflow sprint but it's the same it's the same thing and it, you know it the only way you get better at it is by doing it. it's just like sprinting you know what i mean it's like if you run more you'll be able to run more later yeah because i started september 2020 went all the way till like mid-january for when i bought the house and then had myself move like had everything done where i was like calm and content and was able to relax and then just kind of chilled for like a few months and then starting like april was the next sprint for you know you know on the software engineer side where i just had to get a lot done and move and you know move myself up that was just the next sprint to get done and i'll probably be after that just chilling again until i have to buy another property so it's just going to be back and forth on that for a little bit and i think there's like a it's kind of shitty but it's also kind of good like the the more you sprint the more you feel like a piece of shit when you're not sprinting yeah and that's kind of like a weird balance because like you're 
those the, the first like two weeks after you're done with the sprint, you're just, you know, enjoying it. You're, you're like, heaven. thank you're like, goodness. This I is just, all done. I just did all that work and now I'm done and now I get to enjoy it all. And then like after those two weeks, <laughs> yes. you're just like, I should be doing something. <laughs> what am <more>? I? <laughs> yeah. Why am I not doing anything right now? Yeah. But yeah, that just drives you to find the next thing to start working on. So yeah, it's going to be different for everybody, but I think that's doing it in sprints is probably the most balanceful the way you can do it where you're not drawing things out too long but you're not you know losing your life away for just work and no play yeah so that that was that was a really cool episode and and you know kevin is a little older than us and he was able to you know give a lot of lessons and it it was definitely it wasn't again it wasn't real estate related but a lot of this stuff inside of it you can implement to your personal life whether it's with real estate or in yeah, just Any a, type of a lot of mindset yeah. for sure, yeah. which is super important. And going on to the next one, we have episode 14 with Nathan Stafford, where he went through his journey about going starting in the downturn of the real estate market, picking up properties for super cheap, all cash, fixing them all up himself, and then building up a portfolio where he was able to, you know, get pretty comfortable. He did end up selling it to move due to personal reasons, but he had some really cool insights on just how he managed it of just keeping track of all the work and like creating systems to replicate his work so that everything was the same and he always knew what to do going into all these different properties, which I thought was pretty smart thing to do, especially when you got that much going on. And of course, no storm doors. Yeah. Get rid of them. Get rid of your storm doors. Nobody I'm actually, after, when I go over, I'm fixing a storm door today and it's like, should I just take them off? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to wait till one like really breaks to, to X nay them all, but we'll see. And yeah, I mean, after that, he just brought in just like how, if you are in a situation where you don't have a lot of money to get started, but you have the drive and, you know, the passion to get started and learn, create a plan where you can then propose that to, you know, family and friends to help you get started on the money side, that if you spend the time to really hash that stuff out, you can, if you have, of course, the opportunity to do that, and, you know, not everybody has that rich uncle right. who can give them some money. But if you are in a situation where you have family and friends to help you, you just want to be able to just know, create the plan to then be as successful as you possibly can. You know, of course, it's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be ups and downs. He had his first tenants completely trash the house and he lost out on some money because of it, but he just kept going and then took that into effect and changed all his processes going forward. So he took that failure and changed it into something that made everything else better in the future. Yeah. And I mean, for his particular situation, it, it was his dad who had the cash, but like, I don't think you necessarily need the rich dad or the rich uncle or anything like that. Like if you are able to properly get yourself in the right situation in the right network and you have the background, like if you have the backing of the knowledge of all the podcasts that you've been listening to, of all the books you've been reading, of all the strategies and stuff, and you can present a real idea of how they can beat their mutual fund return, you know, and you're willing to to do the work, to do the research, to find the deal, to flip the house, to do all that stuff where someone can be a, a bystander, split the the property and the cash flow 50-50 and like can be hands off. And again, their return is exceeding that what, what their mutual fund would do. It's like instilling that trust in people is, is a skill that 
you know, Seth talks about in his, his episode, I think that's episode nine, we'll get to there. But like, I think this avenue, if, if you're really strapped for savings rate and you don't have the time for the side hustle or, you know, whatever excuse, like, but you do have the time to, to listen to this and learn the skills and to be able to do it efficiently, like, even if you just need to do it one time to get that extra cash flow, to get, to be able to start saving for your own place. Like I really think this is such a great way. And to even, you know, you get good at, you do one flip and it's like, wow, now I know how to do a flip. Like that's what Nathan did. He was like, I don't know that much about construction, but I'm going to go in there and figure it out. And so he got paid to learn. And it's like, to me, that's a lot better of it. Investment in college, yeah. yeah. You cannot be getting paid to learn, yeah. and yeah, that was a good episode, especially which is like the processes. I feel like were were really cool. And going on to next episode number thirteen, Susie Truax, who is a real estate agent in California, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Florida. She's been in in real estate since I think. 99 i believe she said 99 2000 but been a long time she's had gone through a lot of deals she started investing in real estate in the early 2000s kind of got out of it has been recently getting back into it and she had her experiences that she told us about with airbnb and how she's been making some good money the struggles she had with that and you know it was just a uh it was a cool perspective to have her on because there's not a lot of women in real estate investing there's a lot of women real estate agents but on the investing side where like the risk is just you know less palatable it's kind of a rare thing to have so it was cool to see her perspective and her thoughts on that and just like how it's difficult for women to get involved because like it's all men in there now and people kind of relate to what's they're similar with and if somebody a man who's an investor is going to pick like help somebody get involved most likely you know due to the trends we're seeing it's going to be another man they're helping get involved so she's been trying to get other women involved with it and it was cool to see how she's been doing with that and yeah we we did a poll on instagram of like what what do you think is getting is keeping people keeping women from getting involved in real estate and we had you know being handy is that something that you're taught you know are women just overall less handy is it because the the barrier to entry like there's so much risk involved if you don't know like is there just not enough knowledge is that why or is it because what was the third one i think it was um i know the one that one was the the male patriarchy keeping women down and that was kind of like <laughs> I wouldn't say a joke because it, it's there's definitely merit to it, but that that was the one that won, and I do think that that's a huge part, you know. And it, it goes back to you know you can consider the male patriarchy that there's not that what Caleb was saying about like the mirroring and helping each other and the tribalism. Like if there's more men doing it, well, why is there more men doing it? But then you go back and you go to you know the human nature aspect of it yeah. is is kind of big, and I think like as the information about its success and like how anybody can get involved with it and how it's decentralized where you don't need to do all your own work to be successful. Like all that information gets out there. We're going to see more of a balance. Um, so 
going forward, I think that it'll be slowly getting more and more evenly, you know, just distributed. But, you know, in the meantime now, it's definitely a more male-dominated area. But that's not to say that's a bad thing. That happens with many industries. And we see that all over the world with different areas. So I do think the Airbnb that she was talking about, the one that she had to kind of just kind of solidify the success of that in my mind of just like, if you can get the people set up for it with the maids and the handyman in the local area where all you have to do is handle the text messages of the people coming in and you don't even need to do that yeah you, you, don't can, want you can hand that off to yeah. somebody else too you know it's just a no-brainer just to get some some more money especially what you mentioned before with that 10 percent down vacation house as yeah. long as the laws permit it and all that yeah i'm 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 really really excited like you know i i, I my ideal thing would be like a duplex because I, I love multifamily and to have like, you know, one long-term tenant that I trust who does like this, the handyman stuff and kind of keeps an eye on the property. and Just another Jordan? Yeah. I, I just need a bunch of Jordans, you know, <laughs> someone that like I, I trust with anything and would uh, do that. But I know that's kind of an unrealistic goal. Um, but, and then have the other one as a short term, but you can't use the 10% vacation home on a duplex like that doesn't make really make sense <laughs> vacation um, investment property <laughs> but there are there are single family houses with carriage homes mm. that are the same thing and that's i've been that's been in my search criteria you know i i originally was looking in hawaii and they have their ohana suites and it's it's a carriage house it's a separate house and a lot of people use that and are able to use the vacation rentals but it's the barrier to entry is so high there. It's so expensive. And I so that's what kind of brought me back to Florida and Puerto Rico as like more affordable. And you have to be a native Hawaiian as well to buy a lot for of the properties. Lot, yeah. yeah. For anything that's reasonably priced, you have to be a native Hawaiian, which is tough. Yeah. But yeah, going on to number 12, we had Todd Hennessy on for one of the most important episodes that we've done for anybody who wants to get started investing in real estate because it covers the financing side. And this is just such an important part of real estate because it's going to stick with you for the 30 years, you know, of, you know, your mortgage. So like getting everything hashed out and done right the first time when you get the mortgage is super important. So there's not much justice we can do to this episode to try and pull out key pieces of information just because it's just such an important episode that if you want to buy a property, regardless of if you're going to invest or not, you got to listen to this episode because we cover so much, so many different aspects of mortgages that it's just something everyone needs to know going forward. And it was just such a low we, we only scratched the surface on the questions that Absolutely. I had for him. Like we could probably have him on for like six more hours, like four more podcasts, you know, like really <laughs> get to, his whole team on the podcast. I know, seriously. Yeah. And I, we definitely will have him back. Um, I don't know when, but that, and one of his guys actually, uh, Dylan got started on a uh, duplex. We got to see how, how yeah, he's that would be, that. that would probably be a good podcast too. Yeah, going forward again, we got episode 11 with Mike Rivera. He was kind enough to show us all the info on his deals that he's been doing in more lower income areas and just how much cash flow he's been able to pull out of these cheaper areas. And it was something that the both of us were kind of, you know, on the edge about like putting money into these areas, dealing with the crime rates and dealing with the tenant issues. But he was, you know, in a situation where he hasn't dealt with 
a eviction except for that one time due to right. co- due to covid but right. he's been getting extremely high returns on these properties for how little he's putting into them and then you know expanding out onto all the other avenues of ways to get cash flow from gumball machines to vending machines yeah. like just any way to just squeeze as much money out of your money as you can just putting a little bit in and getting a little bit back every single month and and that's just like seriously if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to rich dad poor dad yet like turn off the podcast and just start (laughs) that because the what what he's talking about and what all these investors have in common is like we all view money as little soldiers that can be used to make us more money and once that mindset once you like cemented that mindset into you like you're going to work not so that you can survive you're going to work so that you can save the money necessary for your money to keep working for you and you can be as passive or as you know hands on as you want with it but like that's the that's the real you know once you get that mindset once you get over that hurdle of like saying oh i can buy this much off of this it's like how much money can this money make me and and he really goes into that and like again like going back to to my personal stuff like this year after we do this uh this four unit hopefully i'm looking to to do an, a second deal this year and if it doesn't end up being the 10 percent down vacation rental i will definitely be considering going into that lower market because i think it's it's very similar to how we were talking about like stocks and, and crypto where you know you when you buy at such a low rate when when the market value is so low and the cash flow is so high you can it's not a guarantee that it's going to appreciate but if it does if someone starts developing you know making it into the new fish town in philly like those you can hit it big it's like dogecoin or these little <laughs> shit coins that like you you have to you have to get involved to see those returns and like where we're investing you know it's a it's there's a bigger barrier to entry places are more expensive but we're going to see less cash flow and more steady appreciation where like and there's some if you go in the class above us you're seeing no cash flow but really betting on appreciation this lower tier you're getting definite high cash flow and the opportunity might come for you to really hit it big and like or the opportunity of negative appreciation right and and that can happen too but if you're hitting the big cash flow and your monthly payments are covered and you're making money off of it and you're not constantly going through evictions and tons of time consuming stuff it's the move yeah you know and and yeah i feel like most properties like in the different areas are are just a balance between you know consistent appreciation or consistent cash flow and like our market is a pretty even balance, I mm-hmm. feel like, where we're buying our properties in, but definitely something that if you want to get a boost to your cash flow and you want to go into those lower income areas and pick up some properties for an investment 25% down or whatever, you, you could definitely make out pretty well. And yeah. I think that feeds in pretty well to the next episode, number 10, where we covered investing in real estate or paying down your student loans first and just prioritizing making your money work for you first so that you can then be in a better situation in the future. Because if your interest rates are low enough that your your loans aren't going to balloon and you can take the money and save it up and purchase a property to increase your savings rate, you can then be in a four years, five years time, you know, investing in real estate 
then paying your student loans afterwards, you're going to be in a better spot versus paying your student loans first and then start saving up for real estate. So it's all about creating that income snowball of getting your money to work for you to then grow and create your foundation and be in a better spot in the future. Right. So definitely we're just talking about college debt in this episode. We're not talking about consumer debt and there's a huge difference. And if you have a consumer debt where you're paying 20, 30% interest, like you got to get rid of that before you get into real estate. Yeah. There's no consistent returns in real estate where you can bank on beating that interest with your real estate returns to justify, you know, not paying that. So 99.9% of the time, if you've got a bunch of credit card debt, you know, you're going to have to pay that down first before getting into real estate, just because you'll be really hurting yourself, you know, letting that interest build up. Oh, and also, I don't think we've talked about this, but I, I heard it on an episode of another podcast I was listening to, but they were advertising for a company that refinances your college debt. And I think looking into that, like, that's important. Like, look at what your rate is, look what you can get it down to, because it's the same as a, it's, it's just another loan. It's just another loan. It's the same type of thing as if you were refinancing your house. You could either be paying 12% or you could be you could pay the money to get it down to 3%. If you have that option. Yeah, if you've got an older loan that was locked in before money became as cheap as it is now, you may have the opportunity of getting a lower down payment. I've never heard or looked into refining student loans, but like at the end of the day, it's just it's, it's just debt. Debt is a great asset, so why would companies not invest in, you know, yeah. owning debt for people? So that's uh something to consider just, for sure. Just worth looking into is all I'm saying for anyone in that certain situation. Yeah. And episode nine, we had Seth Bartholomew on who what a beast. An absolute banger of a story, just like his journey from starting with pretty much nothing and, you know, having the pit of the despair that just kept getting deeper and deeper as he just kept doing more and more and then, you know, eventually getting to like the cusp of getting out of it. And I don't think he was quite out when we had him on because he still hadn't, you know, gotten... Well, because he he got another thing, so he kind of went back into the pit, but knowingly that like he knew that he could get out because he got out of the last one. Like it, it was such a eye opening story and still would be too much risk for me to handle. Like even after listening to him, like even though it worked out so well for him and it's working out so well, like his, he just got his last single family rented out and like the place is gorgeous. Like, and, and his numbers are fantastic. Like he's, he's really doing it right. It's, it's just scary to me. Like I, yeah. I it's, it's like pedal to the metal, just like going as hard as you possibly can, pulling out as much money from as many credit cards as you can possibly get, finding all your deals off market through networking like a machine to then being able to like from the title of the episode, getting three properties with six units for only ten thousand dollars out of pocket. Right. That is just is insane. Like that's yeah. He's he's definitely in a, a much better spot, you know, than he was before. He just had to go through hell and back to be able to get there. So there's definitely much more balanced approaches to doing that, but you're gonna spend a more money out of pocket to be able to get there. So And that's so he could write a book on that. He could also write a book for his ability to f- network. I think yeah. Seth is one of the, the best examples we've had on of like really adding value to as many people as you can finding out what the people in your sphere 
constantly growing your sphere, what's their pain points and what's their strengths and balancing that with everyone that you know. Like if you know what everyone's pain points and everyone's strengths is and you connect people, you're the freaking guy that did that. Like, and people feel indebted to you and he's not doing it as like this super self-serving thing, even though it's going to come back a hundredfold for him. And like, I've definitely taken in a lot that he, he kind of shared with us and have been trying to do that more with the people that I meet and the people that I already know. Like, how can I help you? And and just that simple that simple thing. Yeah, like, like, it's not crazy. Going it's, up to a complete stranger and, like, talking to them for a little bit and being able to, like, get them to expose, like, what struggles they have going on. It's not like a, you know, a nefarious kind of a thing, but it's just through simple conversation. You mentioned, oh, I've just been trying to find you know a a triplex for a little bit now and i've just been having a really bad time doing it you're like oh i know a guy who's selling a triplex selling a triplex you know a town over do you want his number and you're like yes and if it works out you know amazing if it doesn't it's no cares yeah it it doesn't matter like you're not on the hook for making their life successful or not you're just sharing your resources and i think he really Really covered that well. Definitely, definitely give that episode a listen. Yeah, that was that was awesome. And like like I said, he networks like a machine. Like he just doesn't stop. Like I don't even think he does it on purpose. He just you know is just so good at it just by default. So really good pieces of knowledge to pull out of there. And switching over to the next one, episode eight, building wealth while starting a family with Sean McIntyre. He is a real estate agent from New Jersey who's had a lot of success getting duplexes just outside of New York City in New Jersey and killing it. Just awesome numbers. So much cash flow he's getting from these places, all while having, you know, multiple kids, multiple dogs, Mm -hmm. and a full life where so many people in that position don't feel that, that they're capable of picking up their family and having a neighbor it's like dude that's not that insane like the for the short-term sacrifice is so worth that like the reward that you're gonna get it just doesn't it doesn't even make sense but like he it's easy for me and caleb to say that when we just have our girlfriends you know and like look, we just got to make this little sacrifice, you know, having your kids move school districts and having your, you know, all those different things is it's a much higher barrier of entry. And he did it. And so like for us to say, oh yeah, you can do it too. It doesn't mean that much, but for him to be able to like, look, I did it. And so can you, it's awesome. And he, he's been really pushing his, his business, you know, going up and working with a lot more people who are trying to get into house hacking, working with more investors. And like, it's something that I'm personally looking to do in the future as well. And I just, I don't know, I'm, uh, that was an awesome episode. And, and he also connected us with Craig and, you know, he's been a, a great asset. So definitely, definitely grateful for Sean too. He, he got me an EXP as well. So, and if you like have questions for somebody who has personal experience investing in moving into and house hacking with a family, you know, on episode eight, we have his contact information and he would love, you know, he told us he wants to help other people out. So, you know, you can shoot him a PM or something if you have specific questions about how that works. Because like Jake said, we don't have personal experience house hacking with families and that's a whole other can of worms. So, right. you know, definitely uh, reach out. But and- the, so the thing then on top of that was, you know, Sean got me into EXP and like I've got like I said earlier in the episode, like a lot of people reaching out like, hey, what would you do? And like, 
or what did you do? Like, what's your story? And, and you know, when I tell the stuff about, you know, getting my real estate license just for my personal deals and maybe helping someone else, like my real answer to a lot of people is like, get your real estate license. So it kind of kills clients for me or potential clients. But I really think it's, it's the smartest move. You know, if you're planning on doing this and buying a property a year, like it is 100% worth it to go there. And then from there, it's like, where's the best place to hang it? And it's like EXP if it, if that's what you're doing. So I've, you know, got a lot of, lot of value there. So yeah, cause you get a hundred percent of the money back for your own deal. So it's kind of a no brainer to pick them if, if that's your goal. Yeah. And, and what I'm doing now with this FHA loan, I'm rolling my commission, the full 3% into a three and a half percent deal that it goes to your closing costs that, so now I don't have to pay income tax on that income because it's getting rolled directly into the closing costs. So it's just like a really useful tool, which I didn't do on the last two deals. Like I, I took the commission separately. I didn't roll it in. And after talking to Craig, um, he, he kind of explained that process better and like really cemented it in my head that like, that's the move. Like, and so you know, I'm going to be getting in this place a lot cheaper and so can you like getting your real estate license isn't rocket science. Like, and it's not that expensive either. So definitely if you're buying one property, I would still go take the course, spend the 800 bucks, learn the info, even if you never use it yourself. The next one was house hacking 101 episode six with Craig Kerlop, who he was the, the author of the house hacking strategy who worked at bigger pockets he made real estate investing work with a really expensive market and he wrote the book about it and it's it's a really cool episode he's definitely got a lot of tips for house hacking a lot of cool stories that he had you know airbnb being part of his his one unit and like just making making it work no matter where you're at so that was a super cool episode. Definitely give it a listen and, and definitely check out his podcast, um, the Phi Team podcast. I just did a, a an episode with him. I don't know when they're releasing it, but I, I should be on the podcast shortly. And, you know, he's got a lot of really cool guests and a lot of different stories. Um, so definitely, definitely go check it out. And then after that, we had Personal Sovereignty on episode five, where we just really hammered in the point of like how important it is to create your budget and just know where your money's going. Because, you know, if you want to start saving for an investment, you, you got to know like where you can fix where your money's going out and just how you can just increase your savings rate as much as possible. And just having that budget is just super important. Right. Just it basically taking control of your life. That's what the personal sovereignty means. Like doing the best that you can at your job, being the best, like it creates a snowball of like a requirement of excellence for your, for your well-being, being accountable for the life that you have, like no sob stories, no poor me, like take control now. And like feeding back to what we said earlier about just like, what does your future self want you now to be doing to put that future self in the best position possible? So, you know, a lot of the same principles, uh, you know, in these topics, but they all just kind of feed together so well. And, Going on to episode four, we had alternate investing stocks and crypto with Jordan Aldifer, and we uh, kind of glossed over a little bit on stock terminology back when it was, you know, 
really getting super popular and you know we've set our opinions on how we feel about that you know going Ooh. forward and you know if you want to lose your money fast without you know having anything to show for it just start getting into investing in <laughs> stocks and crypto without any knowledge on how it works there but, you go or you'll just become a millionaire you yeah. know it could be one or the other so <laughs> it's only one play the lottery <laughs> ticket you can't win if you don't play so definitely and yeah jordan jordan's been um looking into to some real estate deals too so we're hopefully going to get get him somewhere soon yeah we've um, been trying to get him into the game for a little bit now so we're hopefully going to get him soon but yeah. moving on to three episode three we had involving or significant other and that was just where we just really wanted to talk about how key communication is if you're doing these house hacks with a significant other because it does involve you know a lot of stress a lot of you know, new things that you're not used to doing and just making sure you don't have underlying issues that build up and then boil out and cause fights and stuff in the future. Absolutely. And that that's, that's pretty much it. You know, we're, it's so important, you know, that we, we can gloss over it, but that that's a really good episode where me and Caleb both talk about like our personal experiences with our significant others and like how we did it, how we might've done things differently, how it's going now. Like that's, if if you're thinking about getting into investing, like make sure you're talking to that significant other because it's yeah. going to make your life a lot easier. Don't do what Jake did and you know not Just say anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going on to number episode two, we had favorite failures, and that was just something where we wanted to get the point across about just how it's important to like find your strengths and then be able to look back at things that you thought could have been or probably were or are failures that you had in your life and what you learned from them and like where you are because of them you know whether it's a better position or you know what you learned from that to put yourself in a better position going forward i just talked to someone the other day and they were like you know i had this opportunity but i didn't want to feel like it was handed to me like i a lot of guys that i've talked to you know when when me and caleb are talking here and telling our stories it's like we didn't have any rich resources or, or rich people we had resources but we didn't have like rich people in our corner to like fall on as a safety net and a lot of people have reached out to me who like have that safety net like people who are doing well financially or their parents are doing well financially and they're like well i don't want to feel like anything was given to me and like i was just talking to someone the other day and it was like use your resources like it's not wrong to use your resources like don't feel penalized for having successful parents but like use it to the max and how can you change lives how can you achieve your goals and like make a difference in society like if you get an expedited process on like what me and Caleb have that's great as long as it's you know going into your goals and like helping as many people as you can or whatever it is like and I would say just because you're not deep in the pit of despair doesn't mean it's still easy right right so so definitely you know I feel like a lot of people have that like guilt when they talk to you know someone who who was in the pit of despair and it's like you don't need to feel that way we're all we're all after the same the same end goal and you know financial independence a lot of rich people don't have financial independence and like that's a that's a big key so and then you know our first episode was pretty much just a a breakdown of how we got started in our stories so if if you have any interest 
feel yeah. free to give it a listen. But if you don't want to, you know, we don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, no, like um, we broke down our deals and like our cash flow and like what we thought going into them and like what we're seeing for returns, just how the process worked from getting as much out of it as we possibly could and from learning, getting experience. And then of course the financial side as well. So if you're curious to see like how a couple of newbies got involved with the game and all the stress and craziness that we had to go through to get to where we're, you know, currently at now, you know, definitely uh, check out the episode if you want to see our stories. Yeah. So that's, that's our table of contents there. And, um, you know, definitely if, if you guys are enjoying that, the episodes, like, like it, subscribe to it on YouTube or subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to, give us a comment, give it a rating, like, and on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, like, give us feedback. Like, if you have questions, I think this would be a cool, like, kind of segue if, you know, literally if anyone has questions, like, send them in because I guarantee someone else has that same question. If we can, like, you know, we don't know all the answers, but if we can break it down and kind of systematize it and try to answer questions, you know, that's the point of this. We want to help as many people as we can find this financial independence. So again, the more you like, subscribe, whatever, the better chances we have of growing, getting better guests. It's like a full circle type of thing. So, And you you learn more about a topic teaching other people. So we don't see helping other people as a burden, you know, whatsoever. Right. You know, it's something that we enjoy doing. So like, that's the reason why we started doing this. So if you've got questions or you you know, need help getting a plan or something like that, you know, definitely reach out and we'll be able to help you out as much as we can. Yeah. All right. Well, word up everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Peace. Peace.